Hello everyone and welcome back once again to another episode of the Top 1% Podcast. My name is Tom. And my name is Seb. How are you all doing? Well, this is going to be a very, or at least another American-centric <laughs> episode because right now in the, in, the, in the election season, in this cycle, a lot is going on, lots of debates, primaries and general gossip coming from each political camp with, with their various nominees. Yeah, uh, it was quite an interesting uh, week or so. We have well, been I'd say even just not, not only the week, but it's been a very interesting couple of months. Oh yeah, for, for sure. Yeah, especially for the for the likes of Bernie Sanders, who is yeah. I mean, it's the, it's a, almost a flip narrative at this point. Uh, you can mm. contrast it with where we were maybe three months ago, maybe in something like a December of twenty nineteen. Uh, at that point, Biden was still the front runner of the uh, the nomination. Right behind him was kind of sort of Elizabeth Warren. Bernie was starting to overtake her at that point, but it was still sort of iffy whether or not he would have any chance. And then, of course, now we come to uh, the end of February. Uh, we've done three of the four early primary states. We have mm. one more left to go. Then that, of course, is South Carolina. And after that is Super Tuesday, where 14 states uh, with 33% of all delegates are up for grabs. Um, and so, of course... Whoever's in the best position going into Super Tuesday, obviously, is very likely to come out of that uh, Super Tuesday um, block of uh, states in a, in a very good position. So, mm. uh, yeah, uh, it's a it's a it's a it's a narrative that's uh, been going on for quite some time. Um, we have finally seen in the past sort of week and a half, uh, Biden finally plummet in the national polling. Yeah, I think for for people who are closely following the the race for the past nearly a year. It, uh, I think most people have been waiting for this moment where Biden would finally slum, uh, slum it. I've really mixed my words there. Where he'll finally plummet, and he, his uh, lead will no longer be enjoyed. And obviously, Sanders has taken that position, and he's now ten points in the lead. Uh, Eleven. Eleven, yeah. according to the national average. So uh, he's in a very strong position. He's still got millions of donations flooding in as mm-hmm. well, uh, mm-hmm. and this is his third win at a caucus. Obviously bit more controversial when you talk about <laughs> Iowa because, um, you know, as per the fiasco that we analysed. But um, all is looking well right now for the Bernie camp, despite some controversies and, and media attacks. And yeah, well, I mean, uh, we'll talk about it in a little bit, but the, the media uh, today has been especially um, entertaining, for, for lack of a better word. It has been... Uh, quite fascinating to watch them freak out uh, in in ways I've, I couldn't have imagined they would. Mm, mm. Uh, it uh, you, you honestly, if you watched an MSNBC uh, channel today, you, you might have thought they were talking about Trump the way they were going mm. on about it. But well, it, this whole thing to me just it's astonishing, astonishingly out of touch because uh, I myself I'm by no means a Bernie Sanders supporter, but I think if anyone really is honest and can assess the scenario fairly, they can see that. There are some coordinated attacks going on here, mm. um, and also some uncharitable and disingenuous attacks that that really don't hold any ground. I think uh, uh, among the uh, the establishment types, the elites who mm-hmm. who mingle with one another and have are surrounded by yes men, <laughs> especially in the media, I think that to them this is a very uh, you know apt tactic and it's it's very popular and it'll work, but. Ever since 2016 and increased, uh, uh, you know, scrutiny of the media, people are people are, don't fall for this as much as they might have used to. I think a lot of people view these MSNBC types and New York Times and whoever as totally out of touch, and and that's uh, indicative of um, the, the 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 results in the 2016 election. Well, it's interesting because you can draw a couple parallels, sort of, with with the 2016 GOP nomination <coughs> with with Trump and mm. the way that this is going. Uh, obviously, Trump emerges a front runner pretty early on in the GOP uh, nomination, so it was slightly different in that sense. But the sort of media um, reaction to it was quite 
similar in many ways. Uh, I also think it's sort of similar in some senses that, you know, so, uh, Bernie keeps rising in the polls, uh, more attacks keep coming in, and yeah. that sort of reinforces the um, us versus them narrative mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. Bernie's been trying to put through. Uh, so far, it's only shown to have bolstered his support. Yeah, though, exactly. So I, I guess the for the media themselves, they're actually feeding into the narrative that they don't want to create, which is, of course, mm. them them being sort of the out-of-touch elites. Well, yes, yeah, the... uh, that's exactly right. I think it's having precisely the opposite effect of what they seem to be intending. Sure, sure. And I, I was also keeping an eye on my, my Twitter feed today. Twitter's not real life, of course, but it is sort of uh, an interesting place. Uh, a lot of the people that you know sort of work at New York Times, MSNBC, and CNN were making comments that sort of not necessarily were um, completely out of touch with what was happening in, in the real world, but it sort of, they seemed detached from what was uh, happening out on the ground. For example, you know, mm. um, uh, from today's Nevada, uh, Nevada caucus, uh, which we'll talk about in a little bit, but Bernie had a convincing win uh, over there. And it's sort of the, the, the way they were playing it out, um, almost dismissed the, 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 the race itself as being a, 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 a um, what's it called, uh, already in the bag for Sanders mm, before mm. this even came down to it, because for whatever reason, it's just sort of interesting because these people, you know, obviously they work for a living uh, at a media uh, company, whether it be on a panel of people like a CNN or an MSNBC, maybe yeah. they write articles. Um, and these people should be providing news for millions and millions of people. They have no idea what's actually going on around mm-hmm. them. Mm-hmm. They're caught up in their own bubbles. So the the stuff they spew out is just nowhere mm-hmm. near indicative of what's happening uh, well, in real world. This discussion, and particularly in regard to uh, MSNBC, is quite topical because of the uh, the debate that took place before. That's true. Um, we've seen the influx of Nevada results come in and as of as of recording this podcast i think over f- just over 50 percent of the results have been reported and sanders has a clear lead uh, he's he, he, sh- he has a uh, 46.6 percent of the total vote share and the rest there isn't a clear second favorite really i think the rest are quite scattered biden comes in second with 19 percent so the and then but uh, you know Buttigieg has um 15 warren has 10 so it, it really is quite spread out there there is no clear uh, second preference yeah, that, uh, in that yeah, sense. We'll, we'll go through those results in a little bit after we talk about the debate. But yeah, the the numbers themselves are fairly convincing. Mm. Um, from if you look at it just, just on a uh, on a basic level, Bernie's outperforming every single other person in the race. He's almost got a majority within a, an eight horse race. Yeah, uh, if you might say that's a a fairly uh, comfortable margin. He's double the next first person. In fact, more than double. Uh, by now, I'll talk about why the Biden second place is actually not too bad of a thing for him mm-hmm. going into South Carolina, but we'll talk about it in a little bit. But I think what might, before we get to the uh, Nevada caucuses, might be good to put it into context and what happened because uh, there was a debate about three days prior. Um, it probably was one of the most entertaining and fiery and uh, <laughs> uh, quite uh, punchy sort of uh, debates that we've seen. Yeah, absolutely. I think it was definitely one of the stronger ones. I think uh, my interest in the debates had lulled recently because... The past few were very, um, how should I say, they seemed rehearsed, systematic, mm-hmm. boring, to be quite frank. But this one really, um, I think some of the candidates really took the gloves off. It, it, it was much more entertaining simply because <laughs> people had to kind of divert away from their, their rehearsed, you know, their rehearsed rhetoric. And they actually had to come to blows with one another. And it culminated in the, these hilarious scenes and these back and forths <laughs> between... Uh, Bloomberg and Sanders in particular. That one was very interesting. Yep. We'll get onto that. Um, Klobuchar and uh, <laughs> Buttigieg. So it all it really uh, culminated in quite a hilarious and entertaining affair, which made for a good piece of political theatre. 
But once again, I think it's lacking on the on the substance side, perhaps. Yeah, yeah. I guess you could, at least with this one, I think there's no uh, question that there was a little bit of uh, substance lacking in, in the in the in the debate itself. Mm. Um, the debate um, was quite important uh, simply because of the fact that it came slightly before Nevada, uh, but also because it was the first time that Michael Bloomberg was on stage after he'd spent, I think, five hundred million dollars uh, in campaign ads various other mm. parts of the country um and so of course uh, he, he'd risen in the polls as a result of that uh, he, he's about third at this point in the national average uh and of course this was the first time he's going to be uh in front of a sort of a, an audience um uh, as well as other people uh, having a go at him because he hadn't had that sort of scrutiny uh, on him yet mm. and uh the sort of uh result of that was uh, catastrophic uh bloomberg was horrendous I, I i haven't seen a worse performance uh, well i share that sentiment i as, uh, i messaged you after i saw the, the his performance and i said i've never seen someone uh embarrass themselves so badly in a no. political setting like that and it really was a weak show i think as soon as he opened his mouth on that on that stage in, in the setting where there are other people to contest mm-hmm. what he's saying he he completely just fumbles his way through it and uh, he's really undone all of that campaign spending that he has because i think as soon as people actually get a good look at him they uh they're immediately turned off by him yeah i think it's it's a sign that uh, i'm not sure what the the preparation there must have been some pro- sort of preparation going into this the debate you don't go into the debate with no preparation unless you're michael bloomberg and you're surrounded by <laughs> yes men which is potentially possible he is a billionaire there's mm. very likely chance that he's surrounded by yes men that tell him mm. yes you're doing very very well this is what's happening yeah, yeah. so that might have been the case but i, I well, can't the fact that he doesn't didn't think that there would be as much outrage as there is about his campaign spending kind of <laughs> kind of proves that point yeah I, i'm not sure what to to make of it uh, uh, as such because of course you know bloomberg might have prepared for these sorts of attacks it almost seemed like in many ways that he was sort of at least a strategy in, in his head mm. from what i could tell was that he was going to try and avoid you know getting into the mire with these uh these various um arguments and just yeah. sort of rise above the fray didn't rise above the fray he looked condescending in many ways every time sort of he opened his mouth it sounded like he was um talking like a manager i'm not sure if mm. i can really convey that well mm. but that's sort of the the um the kind of um you know the, the emotive um stance that he was taking yeah, within yeah. the um the debate and of course it always sounded like he was sort of talking from a position of power uh, which mm. i guess might make sense considering where he where he comes from and what his background is uh and of course the wealth that he has mm. um and uh, yeah i mean it was disastrous from the first get-go bernie went after him within seconds followed closely by warren who punched him in the in the gut p- p- for most of the debate mm. i think it was the um non-disclo- non-disclosure agreements that she went after him on mm-hmm. and she just wouldn't let up on uh and got him in a really awkward position where she was sort of saying well will you release these people off their ndas mm-hmm. and because uh, of and then bloomberg retorted saying something along the lines of well they went into these ndas uh voluntarily um which of course if you know your sort of background on, on uh, non-disclosure agreements, they're usually done sort of not necessarily coerced into it. You, yeah. You're sort of almost... Yeah, lips. the voluntary aspect of them is is really an an operative use of the term. It's, yeah. it's not... It's, it, I wouldn't say it's voluntary. <laughs> yeah, but. in a legal setting, at the very least, if it's usually in a sort of heated, controversial setting where one uh, one party doesn't really want to go to court with something yeah. and sort of either pays off the person to, to have the non-disclosure agreement or just doesn't want to bring it to public. Yeah, That's yeah. usually the case with those sorts of things. So the the voluntary uh, and sort of consent argument there is a little mired in controversy. I think a lot of people responded to that. It was actually the first time I'd seen a candidate booed and heckled uh, oh, yeah, throughout yeah. the entire thing. I think the most notable moment in regards to booing was <laughs> when uh, he called Sanders a communist. <laughs> and yep. uh, I think that partly 
also shows how kind of out of touch he is and yeah. that he might be surrounded by yes men because <laughs> that kind of debate tactic doesn't really work anymore, especially ever since the end of the uh, Cold War. Yeah, it's, yeah. We're not living in, in, in the Red Scare. So I think most people, at least most reasonable people, can acknowledge that Sanders isn't a communist. <laughs> so just to go after Sanders like that and uh, get subsequently booed, um, it was a qu- quite amusing to see. Yeah, I mean, I, I fully agree with your sort of yes-men uh, comment there. I think that sort of um, argument might work within his billionaire circles. Haha, look at this communist, you know, yeah, whatnot. Yeah. That, and of course, they might laugh at that. It's calmy. It's calmy, yeah, yeah. I, I, I can't imagine... Um, it just it produced grunts and then it was followed of course by saying I think he said something along the lines of well look here's the best known socialist in the country has three mm. houses and is a millionaire and then it, the, the audience is just flat I've, yeah. I've never seen it yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I don't think I've seen an audience react so negatively to any of the other candidates in yeah. any of the debates. I, I mean, I think we made mentions before that we've we've looked at these various debate performances. We've always said that Biden's been pretty yeah, yeah. iffy and, and shocking, but even he did not get to the levels that yeah. Bloomberg had. And, yeah. and there were points where Biden was incomprehensible, didn't didn't even know what he was talking about in most parts. That still was a better performance than what oh, Bloomberg yeah. produced. Undoubtedly, because I'd rather be incomprehensible than actually <laughs> spout some absolute nonsense. idiotic nonsense. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but in that sense, I think it was a good night for Biden because less of the attention was on him. True, true. Um, uh, but yeah, it was a very shoddy performance from Bloomberg, and there were attacks from all sides, from all sides. And I'm, I'm I don't think after where's the polling reflected. Yeah, there hasn't a, been any polling after that, so there's yeah, no. it's hard to tell. So I don't know if that if there is a, will be a correlation between a mm-hmm. lack of support and his his um, performance. And a lot of people were saying that Elizabeth Warren came out on top, particularly the yeah. I believe the New York Times did. And um, I think her performance was... She seemed to go after everyone, actually. She, yeah, she, she was coming out on the front foot. Yeah, I think it's gone to the point where Warren's been told by her various Hillary staffers and Kamala Harris staffers that the best way of making any inroads here is to just go uh, mm. full ham. Uh, it was reflected, of course, after the debate. She had she made a lot of money uh, from campaign contributions. Yep. So it's firing up the base was sort of one sort of tactic. Considering the fact that she's now uh, within the Nevada, Nevada caucuses coming in fourth, even yeah. after this yeah. debate performance, is a, a sign that... Well, I think he, she and her camp- campaign are sensing that at some point in the near future, if they don't see some sort of surge, whether it be in donations or general polling, even in, in electoral outcomes mm-hmm. like you see at the caucuses, um, then I think they'll just call it quits uh, at least some point in the near future. But that's if there is no increase. So yeah, uh, I think you're absolutely right in thinking that they thought that this uh, aggressive stance or approach mm-hmm. it, um, would help bolster support and i guess only time will tell yeah but it's interesting to see the kind of downfall of warren as well considering she was doing very well in the national polling mm-hmm. uh probably four or five months ago she seemed to be on um on a trajectory that would have sent her to you know front running ter- territory yeah but, i mean uh, i think uh, I'll, I'll give my takes on what i think happened with with warren at least on, on why she fell down um, the way she got to the sort of front runner status that she had was actually a lot of positive media coverage. It was very mm-hmm. little scrutiny of her. Um, she had sort of free airtime, and for a, a couple, maybe two, three, four weeks, she was actually on top of the uh, media mentions. So she was getting a lot of uh, airtime, and people were being able to see her. Uh, she was running on this. Um, um, I've got, I've got a plan for that sort of uh, message. Yeah. That's sort of fallen down in recent weeks as, as a result. Yeah, I think she was trying to sell herself as this perfect lukewarm yeah. candidate. Yeah, so the she's wonk, not establishment. Yeah. She, but she also 
you know, she, she agrees with Bernie Sanders on the most popular yeah. policies, but then also she won't go too far or whatever that yeah. means. The so. problem was at the, at the four to five month point where she was just hitting the front of her status is she started to waffle on Medicare for all, which is a, mm. uh, in many cases, a, a, a no, um, it's a, it's a, it's a very important uh, topic for, for left wing people in the, in the mm. party sort mm. of a make or break. And of course her yeah. backing away from that was sort of uh, a sign that uh, she wasn't going to be, uh, trusted and of course yeah. as we can see in uh, recent times that's pretty uh, consistent with what's been happening um, there was also the the AOC endorsement you might disagree on the uh, impact of that endorsement but I think it just shored up the uh, very necessary very liberal part of the uh democratic wing so i mean i mean it's a sort of coalesce that uh, very liberal vote around uh, bernie sanders and sort of uh, at the very least signaled that he was going to be uh, a um uh, a candidate for those types of people and also uh if you took a look at um college polling which mm-hmm. is you know just polling of, of college students at that time yeah warren had actually overtaken sanders slightly it was like two percentage points immediately after the AOC endorsement that went completely the other direction bernie started surging away from warren warren went down so i think there was a not i mean you might disagree on, on the impact of it but i think aoc has a, a very big face within that um that wing of the party and her sort of backing of uh, of bernie at least uh signaled that um bernie well didn't had, didn't uh, all four of the so-called squad except endorse. for yana presley yeah so i mean it was just sort of yeah, yeah it was just a reaffirmation of of uh that type of voter would mm. if they like them they should I think like them. I think yeah you're you're I think you're getting close to the truth there I think at some point um all of these uh you know um, backings from celebrities mm-hmm. and politicians I think quite a few uh, celebrities I believe have come out in support of Sanders or at the very least Medicare for all yeah and, I mean um, yeah. yeah the AAC has massive political influence if you look at you know just look at her Twitter feed she has millions and millions of followers and Probably one of the most followed people on, yeah. at least in Congress, at least. I don't yeah, know. yeah, yeah, definitely. And then she obviously gets a, f- a decent amount of uh, media coverage. So mm-hmm. pe- individuals like this are able to sort of bolster a campaign if they say, "Oh, look, this is um, a like-minded politician." Sure, sure. Um, I, you know, I, I'm I'm presenting myself as a fair and um, uh, you know apt politician, mm-hmm. and this is someone who who's much like me. And I think that actually goes a long way because I think AOC as well. <clears throat> is good at would would be good at um connecting sanders to an even broader um outreach of voters as well sure yeah and also i think the latino vote as well um, might have been a, mm-hmm. a big factor in this just back to warren quickly before we move on on the point um she did have a good night i think uh, i think bernie probably if you were if you were taking the debate as a whole uh, i would easily say bernie won the debate not because he had the best performance but because as a front runner he didn't get attacked you know anywhere near as much as uh, Michael Bloomberg did mm. and Michael Bloomberg isn't number one in national polls he's not winning the Nevada caucus right now he didn't win the New Hampshire uh, primary before so the fact that Bernie sort of rose mm. above the fray in that instance actually endeared him to a lot of people because he didn't have to get tangled in a lot of the controversy uh, and he didn't get, look bad uh, yeah. as you might say and that's a good thing if you're if you're a front runner as we said before when Biden was having those sort of shoddy debate performances it didn't yeah. matter that he was having uh, bad debate performances as long as he wasn't being attacked exactly at, as at long the, as the attention wasn't entirely on him sure uh, it was all good and I think that runs true for this instance as well mm-hmm. Sanders didn't necessarily have an incredibly aggressive or no. powerful performance. Uh, I don't. I think he was third when it came to the the mo- speaking, time, speaking yeah. time, something like that. And he came out unscathed though, because people. That's exactly it. And it was interesting the comment you made to me. I think it was during the debate as well. Just how even Sanders's uh, existence in the race has <laughs> really uh, 
shaped and shifted the national debate and the Democratic yep, Party. You yep. looked at the, this debate in particular, and people were now talking about um, w- uh, worker-owned co- co- cooperatives mm-hmm. and, and things like that would have been unthinkable 20 years, well, not even 20, probably 10 years ago, yep. um, to see on a national debate stage, especially with the Democratic Party. So uh, his influence has gone a long way, and, and I think that's, um, uh, that's kind of evocative of the fact that uh, socialism, or at least his brand of democratic socialism, some might even call it social <laughs> democracy. That's true. Um, his brand of that is that is becoming much more sellable than it used to be, mm-hmm. and the fact that he wasn't actually getting attacked as other uh, as attacked as other candidates, and that they were actually talking about tentpole, frankly, socialist issues is mm-hmm. is really interesting to see. Well, it's it's also kind of interesting because a lot of the people that have tried to attack Bernie, it's actually backfired on them quite badly. You know, Elizabeth Warren with the sexism attack back in in Iowa that oh, yeah. actually made a plummet in the polls somehow. Uh, so I mean, <laughs> I guarantee some Hillary staffers honestly thought that would be a great line of attack. Mm. I guarantee it for for a, a fact on that point. Um, I think yeah yeah overall it was a good debate for him because of of those aforementioned facts. And I do agree that you know Bernie's. Um, brand of, of democratic socialism, social democracy. Um, we might just sort of call it center-left, left-wing sort of ideas uh, are entering the mainstream uh, for, for a lot of uh, reasons. You know, for for many years now, you know, the Democratic Party and the Republican Party have been separated very little, mostly on social issues, sort of stuff like immigration and, and uh, you know, abortion and uh, other kinds of things. That's sort of the places they have uh, differences on. Mm. Uh, in terms of economic issues, of course, they tend to agree on the most part for, you know, bigger well, military. Yeah, it's part of the ongoing neoliberal consensus. Yeah, exactly. And, so, and I mean, those two measures. Yeah, and of course, now that we've had sort of Trump into the year, he's a different type of Republican, maybe not when he, when he governs, but of course, in rhetoric and, and how he sort mm. of campaigns he is a different republican than uh, of course the you know george bush types you know uh and of course bernie as an example is, mm. is completely different from uh, a lot of the other democrats so of course yeah i think those two examples show that at the very least in america there's a lot of um uh, dissatisfaction with what's happening in the country from both sides of the aisle um mm. and that of course that anger and that uh um that frustration is being vented into do, to do two different movements based on on you know sort of Trump and Bernie. Bernie sort of tries to funnel it and and pushes the anger onto the the one percent and the inequality and the injustice. Trump, for example, sort of pushes it on bad trade deals and and uh, yep. you know sort of not necessarily immigration as a, as a big part, but of course mm. that it's just you know America great again. Sort of just um, mm. this outcry at uh, at America first being no longer a thing. So mm. that's yeah. Was it, it was interesting as well, um, this is slightly off topic, but how going back to that shift in national debate, how Trump also somewhat contributed to it. I mean, it, it was um, at one point in time, it would have been unforeseeable to see a, a Republican candidate uh, talk about corruption in the establishment and in Washington. And obviously you, you can true, you true. can have your quarrels with, with Trump's um, uh, integrity in using that kind of rhetoric, but... The fact that uh, the chief Republican pe- candidate was spouting that kind of rhetoric is very interesting as well. And I think these have been, uh, the past two, three years have been rather, I wouldn't say unprecedented, but definitely, uh, dare I say, revolutionary yeah. on some fronts. Yeah, of course. Um, on the point of Trump, of course, he, um, he was 
weirdly interesting because he had that sort of anti-establishment message. But he was also the only Republican out there talking about not cutting Social Security and, and Medicare and Medicaid. Mm-hmm. And now you, you talk to any Republican, I wouldn't say any Republican, but most Republicans, and they'd say uh, those three programs would be on any of their agendas to be cut in one form yeah. or another. Uh, you ask any of the American people, would they want any of those three programs cut? No way. So yeah. that's a very popular position that Trump took up, and it was actually a very smart and uh, and very um, calculated move from him. Yeah. It separated him from the pack, made sure that he could uh, rise above the fray for, for many uh, reasons. And of course, uh, his outspoken and brash tactics uh, endeared him to a ma- uh, many voters that were, that were similarly frustrated at the uh, political system that had been uh, sort of yeah. in the country. And of course, that's the reason why he won against Hillary, because of mm. course, you know, Hillary represented everything that Trump was fighting against in yeah. many ways. Um, so, I mean, that would have been really interesting to see in 2016 if it had been Bernie up against Trump, what the race might have looked like, I think it would have been completely different uh, uh, with Hillary not there because, of course, Trump wouldn't have had the same sort of effect uh, in talking in his anti-establishment message. Mm-mm. Might have been blunted. I'm not sure what the result would have been of 2016. It would have been fascinating to see. Um, you know, of course, Trump not having the incumbency factor might have made it a more even race mm. at that point. So, Well, going back to the debate, an interesting point of conversation, which was actually partly, uh, you know... Um, perpetuated in the media leading sure. up to the debate was the uh, i the the notion that a lot of sanders supporters are um <laughs> well the, actually the, we talked about how it's unscathed but this was an attack that uh, i wouldn't say it worked it, it didn't really stick but this at least was an attempt and uh, i think it was but judge that brought, brought up <laughs> the um this uh on, online argument that all the bernie sanders supporters online are very aggressive and and this is an argument that i think is another out-of-touch argument because people see this and they say, look, I'm not experiencing this. This is a broad generalization. Why is it also important to the actual policies? And there you go. Yeah, I think for, for a lot of people, yeah, I think it is out-of-touch because, you know, many people don't actually interact on Twitter. They don't, not many, not as, well, most people do use Facebook, but not, you don't see those types of things happening on Facebook. Twitter's sort of a, uh, circular firing squad for these types of things. You'll find debates and, and arguments and just people going ham at each other for, for various reasons. I do mm. the same thing. You know, I like to bully libs, but that's just my thing. <laughs> um, I mean, the, the fact of the matter is on, on Twitter itself, it's, it's nowhere near a representation of real life. Uh, it was actually quite interesting uh, from the Nevada caucuses. Uh, there was a statistic which showed what the biggest um, uh, sub uh, demographic that Warren won, which right, was right. the Twitter users. Ah, uh, okay. So the most the people that use Twitter was what? Yeah. Uh, the demographic one one. Anyway, that's a quick aside. Mm. Um, yeah. So I think the it's actually quite interesting because a lot of these candidates talk about unity and bringing people together, and it's quite interesting because they 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 completely reject these types of people um, from the from the Bernie camp, and they actually in many instances people like Buttigieg directly attack Bernie supporters for for being um, not necessarily aggressive, but being very uh, outspoken on the issues. Mm. Um, I think. For example, the culinary union, the one mm-hmm. where um, the the union itself, the the management um, came out against Medicare for all. People on Twitter responded was was were saying, "Oh, this is incorrect." You know, um, this is uh, with the union. They were trying to explain why it wouldn't be um, why it wouldn't be a good thing not to yep. go against Medicare for all. And then, of course, the union came out and said, "Look, these Bernie Bros attacked us." Mm-hmm. Um, it's sort of a narrative I just don't think connects with a lot of people. Um, mm-hmm. Specifically, saying, and I, I think it just even it pushes further out the 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 sort of divisions between the people. Uh, I don't think it actually brings anyone together trying mm. to go after people on a debate stage. Not only that, but why? Just why is it relevant? It's obviously a no. cheap attack used in a tactical manner in a sure, debate sure. setting. But uh, another thing that was interesting was how um, Amy Klobuchar and Pete Buttigieg came to blows mm-hmm. uh, specifically towards the end of the debate, 
where, and this seems to be an ongoing thing between them, where they're questioning each other's experience and authority. Um, uh, obviously, but a judge always brings up the fact that he uh, is a middle class um, <laughs> gay man from Indiana and who, who who's become mayor of of a city, and um, Klobuchar kind of refutes that in in saying that it's not necessarily relevant experience, <laughs> <laughs> and it becomes quite amusing in that sense. But uh, obviously, but a judge was espousing the. The, uh, the virtues of being a mayor because it's obviously part of the executive branch as is the presidency. And it was just really interesting to watch. And considering they share a similar demographic and mm-hmm. voter share, mm-hmm. uh, this isn't very uh, advantageous for either of them necessarily. Well, unless they're wanting to try and you know steal the, each other's bases from each that, other. That, that, I think that's what actually happened in New Hampshire because of course Klobuchar and Booge are sort of almost cancelled each other out trying to go for the same types of voters. So they might think they have a, a road trying to get in to each other's lanes. On the relationship between the two, and this is sort of what I've observed and what I can figure out on what the why they you know hate each other the way they do. I, I genuinely think it's a sort of not necessarily a hatred, but a mm. a, a content and dislike for one another. Yeah, Klobuchar hates Buttigieg for the reason that uh, Buttigieg is the type of person that she should have been um, in this race. You know, for example, moderate, midwestern. Uh, has won an election in a red state, not necessarily a red state, but a, a sort mm. of purple state, um, and you know, sort of a, a new, a brand new face in in the uh, sort of presidential primaries. Uh, and of course, Pete Buttigieg has sort of stolen a thunder in in that sense. So, Klobuchar uh, might feel that because of the fact that she's been in the Senate for so long, and the fact that Buttigieg actually frequently uh, takes shots at people in Congress, mm. uh, she might have a, a contempt for him for that reason. Buttigieg, on the other hand, I'm not sure he has a real real contempt for Klobuchar. I just I genuinely think he he likes getting in people's faces and and uh, sort of beating them down. To be honest, I I, mm. I mean it might be just my interpretation of yeah, them, that, but that kind of dirty political yeah i think he, he genuinely enjoys uh doing it not necessarily like he has a smile on his face but it does look like he likes digging the, the knife into to someone yeah, when he's got them on the road it works or something sure that's the thing i think the sort of other thing when you look at the the people on stage and how they interact i think a lot of them sort of have these weird relationships that you wouldn't necessarily uh, think so you know bernie and and, uh, and Biden, for example People mm. are ideologically d- divided from one another are actually probably fairly good friends yeah. outside of the the um, the, the debate stage. This mm. is of course they come to you know Bernie. Uh, Joe's a friend of mine, you know, they, and then mm. he goes on yeah, the, on yeah. the rant and whatnot. But yeah. yeah, I think they have mutual respect for each other. I think it's funny this- as well. Funny that you bring that up. Um, it was revealed during the debate yes, that yes. Uh, Mayor Pete had uh, written an article. I think it was in two thousand two, something like that, <laughs> uh, about why. Bernie Sanders is a, a great man who should be respected, a good politician who's l- trying to lead the country forward with his sure. ideas. And it was interesting how MSNBC actually brought that up on um, the st- on, at the debate stage. Yep. And uh, I think uh, Mayor Pete replied with something like, uh, "I was I was into Bernie before it was cool yeah. or something," um, which kind of w- was, was a claim that was made redundant after he then because yeah. he then after just go, I think we goes I think on went on the denounce. Bernie bro narrative after that I'm yeah yeah, yeah. Something like that. and then he goes on to denounce his policies anyway so <laughs> it's a yeah, very strange perspective no because it's interesting because you can actually see an evolution in in the Pete Buttigieg thinking you know 2000 was when he was at Harvard at that point I'm fairly sure mm. or the, the essay might have been written in high school just before he went to Harvard might have been mm. one of the two uh, after Harvard of course he went to to um, McKinsey as a consultant person then of course went off to Afghanistan and then became mayor mm-hmm. uh, and during his time as mayor the positions he took and the sort of rhetoric he had were actually 
quite anti-establishment, mm. fairly Bernie Sanders sort of types of things he said. He was talking about the fact that, you know, the Electoral College should be abolished, you know, <laughs> popular vote matters. Obviously, that hypocrisy came back to bite him in, in Iowa. Uh, of course, he didn't figure out what the hypocrisy was, but either way. Um, and he was also talking about the fact that Bernie would have won in 2016 instead of Hillary. So those types of things that you might um, associate with him. And he was also in 2018 talking about the fact that he would like Medicare for all. And he thought, he actually said Medicare for all was the moderate position. Mm. And uh, he even made the comment, I think it was January of, the, of last year, where he said, they're going to call us socialists anyway, referring to the Republicans. Yeah, yeah. So just go as, as far left as you want because it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, now you look at people to judge. As, is it, well, I think this really works against him because then it kind of uh, creates this image of him that suggests he's a, he's a bit of a careerist. That's true. Because I actually read the um, essay that he wrote and mm-hmm. he sounded like a completely different person. Uh, and, and now he's kind of had to abandon all of his, these apparent lifelong principles that he's held yeah. in order to try and... Uh, try and you know get a seat in the white house so that's true it's, it's really interesting to look at it from that perspective and it's also something that people don't respond well to no i don't think so either but of course i think there's a, a true contempt among sort of Sanders supporters for for booty judges because of the the two-faced nature of him they at least respect the fact that klobuchar while her positions are nowhere near what bernie supporters might think she's at least open about the fact that she's moderate. At least she's open mm. about the fact that she doesn't want people to have universal health care and whatnot. She's Mm-mm. just... That's just a... Uh, at least on a principled standpoint, you know, you can at least respect that from, from various people. Booty yeah. on the other hand, it's, it's sort of similar to how you sort of respect Bernie for his principled positions. Yeah. But, of course... Well, that, that's, that's the thing. I... Uh, I um, don't necessarily agree with Bernie on, on a lot of things, actually. Mm-hmm. But I think that he is... I think all of these attacks against him, as I said, were unfair, but also he's actually quite likable in my book. He's the yeah. kind of politician you want to follow cause, because he's been, you know, at least on the on the big issues, he's yeah. been fighting for the same thing his, his entire life. Yeah. And, and, yeah. and that's that's certainly commendable. Yeah, it's, 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 it's admirable. It's sort of the same thing that I say about Trump. And of course, you know, liberals, for whatever reason, just can't get their mm. minds wrapped around the fact that people actually like Trump yeah. and like the way that he talks and, and the rhetoric that he spouts. And they, they can't see the humor in it they can't, well. Yeah, they can't see the humor in it. Trump is incredibly hilarious on, in many occasions. Yeah. The kinds of things that he, he writes on Twitter, they get liberals in, in tatters. It's, yeah. it's, it's incredible. I don't, I'm not necessarily sure whether he, he thought this tactic up in his head or what went, what went, but it's whatever it is, it's very effective. It's very effective. It gets people up in uproar, and it's actually incredible because it just divides people even more, and people <laughs> don't understand what they're looking at. Yeah. They can't engage Trump on the same level because they just don't understand what he's doing. Exactly. So I mean, either way, um, I think. Um, yes, yeah, so that's pretty enough of the debates. I think we got a good picture of what's sort of happening within the race. There's another debate in maybe. Four days, so before the next caucus, so, yeah, the South yeah. Carolina primary. So that will be interesting to see. I think uh, it will be less focused on Bloomberg attacks, probably more Sanders attacks. I'm uh, considering the fact that there was an article from the Washington Post saying that Russia's meddling in the election oh, yeah, and got um, Bernie. I guarantee that will be brought up in the debate. Mm. Um, and yeah, so well, let's now look at how um, the the debate has informed the the Nevada results because yep. uh, as i said uh, as of recording we have about just over 50 percent of the results in uh as i also mentioned sanders has a clear lead uh and how do you think that this reflects the ongoing trajectory of the race well yeah it's, it's kind of interesting because um I'll, I'll first talk about second where biden currently is i think he mm. will finish second in, in in nevada i think that's actually a very important place for him to be uh considering the fact that he finished what fourth and fifth in mm. the past mm. two um primaries uh it was important for him to sort of at least have a 
commendable showing within within Nevada. Now, of course, he is still less than half of what Sanders got in the end, which is, of course, if in any other scenario, would be a disaster for, for a candidate. Yeah. For Biden, less so, because we are coming up for the next primary in his firewall, the state that if he is to have any chance of making any sort of inroads in this primary, he has to win. It's South Carolina. Yeah. It's a state that um, Hillary Clinton won by 60% last time around mm. versus Bernie. This time around, though, Bernie has made fairly good inroads in the black community. Mm. Uh, he is getting much more support than he was back in 2016. And there's also not a coal, um, not people coalescing around one candidate in the black community like they did with Hillary Clinton. So it's anyone's uh, sort of uh, community up for grabs, you might yeah. want to say. Um, so, of course, you know, Biden, I think within the exit polling that was shown within the... Um, what's called um, within this uh, Nevada caucus, the black vote was something like Biden 36%, uh, Sanders 27%. Um, South Carolina is majority black, so that mm, might mm. indicate that Biden still has a shot at winning the uh, South Carolina primary. Yeah, this is, this is a strong point. And I think we've talked about many times, but it's mostly because Biden's connection to Obama, mm-hmm. um, and that obviously tests well with <laughs> the African-American community. It's in, it was interesting to see, actually, at least so far in the Nevada caucus, how well Bernie has done amongst the Latino base. Yep. Seen, yep. He actually has created some sort of diverse coalition and diverse in age and ethnicity, which is obviously what you need, something you need to in order to uh, win the ele- general election. Yeah, it's interesting because, at least in, in Nevada, at least, uh, Bernie won the 17 to 29 uh, electorate, which is, of course, expected, 30 to 44, and also 44 to 64, which is... Uh, sort of place that he's sort of not necessarily struggled with, but it's a uh, an age group that doesn't necessarily vote quite anywhere near as much as, um, you know, the, the younger age groups for Bernie. So yeah. it's a good sign that he's actually making inroads there. Um, yeah, of course, the Hispanic um, vote was a blowout for Bernie. It was, uh, what was it, 53% to the next best was 12. So yeah, yeah. Uh, those numbers are quite incredible. As I mentioned in our group chat before, but uh, I'll talk about it here, mm. um, the the Hispanic vote doesn't necessarily coalesce around a candidate and it hasn't done so in historically uh, in elections. Um, this time around in 2020, they're actually the biggest minority group that will mm. be able to vote within the uh, the general election. Uh, they've actually overtaken African-Americans for the first time. So Interesting. if you were sort of looking at the dynamic from uh, a wider point of view, you'd say that the, um, the Latino vote actually has more influence, has the most minority influence mm. going into these, uh, these elections. It's actually interesting because... Um, a lot of sort of states that have majority, well, not majority, but fairly um, large populations of Latino voters are actually the sorts of places where mm. Democrats might want to make inroads with. If they have mm. a candidate mm. that has very good connections to them, maybe someone like a Sanders, for example, they could put states like Arizona and Texas into play because uh, they have massive Latino populations in those uh, states. Oh, yeah. yeah, absolutely. So, of course, it might put them into I would be skeptical, of course, that Texas would go blue, but um, the you know, the, the ramifications of Texas going blue are quite uh, significant. So, of course, that's something to keep an eye on. Um, I, well, I think something that will be interesting to observe after mm-hmm. the South Carolina uh, caucus will be the sort of criticisms leveled at not only Sanders, but all of the candidates, because uh, people like Warren and uh, Klobuchar, they have usually, they've tended to, their tactic has been based on um, attacks on the front runner and attacks that regard their electability. Yeah, uh, And sure. that's happening to Sanders a lot now. They're talking about how divisive he is, mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. Uh, et cetera. But if Sanders does win the South Carolina caucus, then I don't think there would be much argument against his electability, well, uh, at least compared to the other candidates as true. well. Sure, I imagine that people still make the, the argument, the case for it. Um, what has been interesting to see is that at, 
actually as a result of um, Bernie's sort of uh, wins in Iowa and New Hampshire and also now Nevada, mm. uh, the polling has actually started to reflect that sort of uh, idea, you know, people thinking who's the most electable. Questions being asked to, to people on polls, for example, like who do you think would be the best person to take on Trump? Who do you think would best fare against Trump in a debate? Those sorts yeah. of questions. Bernie's actually started to overtake Biden in a lot of these um, uh, categories, which is an indication that at the very least, Biden's electability sort of firewall has collapsed into tatters for now yep. uh, considering the fact that he finished fourth and fifth in two of the first states is an indication that he may not have the legs to to, to win it against trump i also think it's an indication of of what i sort of predicted back in way, way ages ago when the primary first sort of started getting going which was the fact that biden's supporters are actually very soft yeah. uh, they're sort of people that not necessarily pick up the phone and just say they're going to vote for biden but these are the types of people that would say yeah i'll vote for biden they're not going to have enough energy and um, excitement to go out to the polls yeah, and vote totally for a candidate agree. that's like a Biden. You know, for example, in Iowa, you know, Buttigieg and Sanders were the bit ups people that got people to come out to the polls, mm. vote for them, do the thing. Um, you know, it's not a general election. These people aren't running. They're not um, versing one one other person for, for mm-hmm. a, a huge election, which is, of course, a presidential election. Most people turn out for that, but... Well, yeah, I think you're right there. His support is skewed by people who aren't necessarily totally invested in politics yep. and people who have that kind of, um, uh, you know, they recognize him. So they, sure, say, sure. they say, oh, he's someone I'd vote for. Sure. <laughs> it's not necessarily an, an impassioned and fervent base of people who are, you know, incredibly involved in politics. Yep. Yep. I think that will that'll be to his detriment. He'll dwindle off in the end because... Uh, all of this people, all of these people, will be revealed in a sense that <laughs> the, uh, 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 the, they're they're nothing more than Obama supporters. And, and yeah, there's, that's there's true. not much. I, my point is, I don't think there's much substance to his to his um, to the, his support. Yeah, and I think it's being expo- exposed now as we go into the uh, the further we go into the race, because of course the um, you know the electability argument was what was keeping him afloat. That's now collapsed into. To, to ruins yeah. so of course his support has now dwindled away and of course the rise of, of uh, Bloomberg has also exacerbated that fact he's sort of run into or eaten away at the support that Biden was was needing mm. namely to speak of course in sort of deep south uh, sort of Florida Alabama Georgia Mississippi uh, Louisiana those types of states um, where Biden was expected to do very well Bloomberg has started to eat support in, uh, eat his support in those sort of mm-hmm. states which has made the, the task of Biden even harder I do think though that considering the fact that he has done uh, admirably for what he was expecting in, in Nevada I won't go to say that it's outperforming but mm-hmm. I'd, I'd still say it's commendable uh, I wouldn't put it anywhere if there was any other uh, context I'd still call it disastrous I think it gives him a good shot at still winning South Carolina if South Carolina is won by Sanders I can't see any other way of it going but Sanders winning the nomination yeah I'm, like I said I'm still skeptical of the fact that Sanders will win the nomination just because of the the fact that I'm always a uh, quite a skeptic on, on these sorts well, of things. Well, it's quite good to be a pessimist because then you're never that's disappointed. True. Yeah, yeah, that is, <laughs> that is true. I think, um, but I, I think if he does win South Carolina, though, I think that's a a, a good indicator that he will uh, end up winning the entire thing. Because like, if, if you've won the first four, odds are you, you are likely to win yeah. the next forty six to fifty. So yeah, well, yeah, I, I don't really have anything I disagree with there. Um, I think that just about wraps up everything we wanted to talk about. Sure, yeah. yeah. Um, oh, yeah, New Hampshire primary before we, we sort of head off, as we talked about. Um, it was a pretty close race between mm. uh, Bernie and Buttigieg. Bernie slightly getting over the top of him. 
Um, I think Buttigieg was very well helped by the fact that he had positive news coverage going into it. Yeah, I think that was the tactical along. Yeah, exactly. So you, the the early call of winning in, in Iowa sort of helped him to, mm. to get any, somewhere close to New Hampshire. But as a result of and, the... Oh, let's not forget to mention that ludicrous re-canvassing of the res- <laughs> Iowa results, which had Buttigieg win by... Yeah, something like that. Oh, yeah, yeah, it was less than, yeah, one-tenth of a percent. Yeah, which was uh, quite... I think they're doing a re-canvas again just to to do (laughs) that again because it's just an absolute joke. Um, But at the end of the day, the results are that the um, 2020 Democratic primary in terms of delegates, which is, of course, what the um, thing is about. I think if we now check them now, uh, we should see... Yes, uh, Bernie's now in the lead. I think we're still being allocated because... the Nevada ones aren't fully allocated because not everything's reporting. Yep. Uh, so, but at the very least, I think Bernie will extend his lead against Buttigieg, and then the rest of the field sort of just yeah, they'll be there. Yeah. So Warren, in Plo, that John, sense, it's a two-horse race at the moment. I don't think Buttigieg is going to go anywhere near. Yeah. Yeah. I, I yeah. very much imagine it won't be Buttigieg at second for very long. Well, only time will tell. Only time will tell. Well, thank you very much for listening. You can find us on Spotify, SoundCloud, and iTunes. Don't forget to check the description and all the links below. And yeah, we'll see you next week. Goodbye. One tenth of